0: Uh, Milton told me the Song of Encouragement is going to be 800, number 800, if you'd like to mark that. So uh, did you hear that Willard Scott, the NBC weather forecaster, just passed away, age 87, uh, famous, most famous for uh, giving shout-outs to people on their birthdays, people 100 or I think people even 100 or older, um, and also famous for just being kind of a personality. Uh, one time he dressed up like Boy George at the height of Boy George's popularity. He dressed up like Carmen Miranda, uh, wearing kind of wild costumes. I mean, kind of a, a lovable, fun guy. So in 1987, he was interviewed by the New York Times, And he, and he said, he, he, you know, he would, he was on the, the, uh, lecture circuit, like a lot of famous people. And he said, uh, a lot of people on the talk circuit, they give their talk and they go home. Not me. He said, I love people. So they just open the door and I go, and then I go and lick everybody's face. (laughs) Just kind of, I think that's a guy who got it. You know, he, he loved people and people loved him that man that boy that's something to aspire to in my in my view i think he he really got it that didn't have anything to do with my sermon but i had to share that with you today Many centuries ago, sailors noticed that in the in the ocean, some of the oceans near the equator uh there tended to be calm winds for a very long time, sometimes even no wind whatsoever for days and even weeks at, at a time. You can imagine how disastrous that would be for a bunch of people in a sailing ship um, no wind at all. You're not going anywhere. They didn't have an Evinrude motor to start on these, on these ships. Uh, so the, st- the sailors started calling these areas the doldrums, stuck in the doldrums. When you're in the doldrums, you have no wind in your sails. When you're in the doldrums, you're dead in the water. And later on, people started using this as a metaphor. Maybe you've been in the doldrums emotionally. We probably all have. When you're in the doldrums emotionally, you're stuck lethargic, no wind in your sails. You have the blahs. Probably you know what that's like. I think we've all been there. And it, it's also possible to be stuck in the doldrums in terms of your spiritual life, isn't it? You kind of lost your oomph. Maybe you've experienced that. I have. You know, Colvin obviously was fired up this morning uh, as he was sharing about the uh, the Lord's Supper devotional, my confession is, and I'm not proud of this, I have not always been that fired up in my life. I've not always been fired up. Um, there may be times in life when we've lost our oomph, spiritually speaking. And I, I want to call your attention to one New Testament verse this morning, Romans, from Romans chapter 12. This occurs in... Uh, a very practical section in Romans uh, that's really describing uh, pr- practical Christian living, and even more specifically than that, it's a it's a section discussing living a life of love. First, love toward God, and then very specifically how to love each other the right way. And it's in the context of that discussion uh, that these instructions take place. Romans twelve eleven. God's word says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. How many of you, when you read that, say, yeah, I can do that. No problem. I got that covered. Anybody? Nobody. I think For most of us, when we see uh, words like this, that's pretty daunting, isn't it? It's pretty intimidating. Never let your zeal lag. Keep your spiritual fervor at a fever pitch. Be zealous always. That's a pretty overwhelming thought, I believe. Maybe I can do that for a while, but can I keep that up for years? Decades? A lot of folks in here have been living the Christian life for decades, Isn't it more than a little daunting to think about that? Especially when you have bills to pay and mouths to feed, jobs to do, and a limited amount of energy. You know, sometimes I think if I can just keep keep going and keep on keeping on, that's probably about the best that I can do. Maybe you've never been there. But perpetually zealous with real spiritual fervor, that may be more than I can pull off. Maybe I should just speak for myself, but I suspect that most believers have an experience much like mine, where your spiritual life has peaks and valleys. There have been times in my life when I really have been on fire spiritually. I think back to when I was a college freshman at what is now the Hilltoppers for Christ campus ministry. We had a group of about 60 students, and my freshman year through this ministry we had 30 baptisms in that campus ministry. That's more than one every two weeks. Let me, and people would get called in the middle of the night to, there's another person ready to get baptized. Let me tell you, that was exciting. And our Tuesday night devotionals were powerful. The singing was enthusiastic. The speaker, typically biblical and relevant and challenging. Hearts were being touched and lives were being changed. God was doing marvelous things. And looking back on it, it sort of felt like being in the middle of the book of Acts in the Bible. And I was learning a lot and I was growing in my faith. And sometimes when I was driving home after one of our devotional gatherings, I felt like I was on cloud nine and a half spiritually. Maybe you've had some mountaintop times in your life when God's grace was fresh and amazing. Uh, His love for you was real, and your relationship with God and your awareness of his presence in your life was so real it was almost tangible. It was almost palpable. In times like this, prayer is very powerful. You pray and it's almost like you can hear angels singing in the background. Uh, you It's a delight to come to the church gathering and sing God's praises. And when you read scripture or hear it preached, God speaks to your heart and you genuine, genuinely encounter him through his words. But very honestly, life isn't made up only of mountaintop experiences, is it? I mean, let, let's. I think we can be honest with each other. We're family, right? We should be real. Through much of life, you're kind of slugging it out in the trenches. If you know what I'm saying, you got to get up and go to work and run errands and pay the bills and fulfill multiple responsibilities. And sometimes, in your life, as time goes by, your faith may not be spectacularly hot. It becomes kind of evolves into something kind of solid and sturdy, steady. And God's grace may not seem as fresh and new as it did when you were a baby Christian, but you're still amazed by it. But I think there are seasons that Christian people go through that can't be explained merely by faith maturing from an enthusiastic beginning to a more steady and solid commitment. Quite frankly, and I think this verse is dealing with this, there are times when zeal wanes. If the apostle is telling the Christians you need to keep, keep your zeal up, there's a possibility that zeal can fade and wane, right? There may be times when your enthusiasm fades and your faith loses its feeling, and you pray and it feels like your prayer just bounces off the ceiling and doesn't get anywhere. It's a chore to come to the assembly. You read scripture, and in the words of somebody several hundred years ago, it's as dry as a stick. You don't have so much joy in your uh, Christian walk. You lose your spiritual oomph, and you have no wind in your sails. You're in the doldrums. So one of the questions I want to address is this one. How, do th- how does this happen? How do we get in the doldrums spiritually? What are the causes? And so I'm just going to deal with some. This is probably not every potential cause. But um, first, your experience uh, of fellowship with God may be affected by a physical condition or an illness. For instance, and I deal with this, if you're in chronic pain, that affects how you experience life. All of life. Let's just be real. And it can affect your prayer life positively or negatively. Or if you have a clinical depression... And maybe you're getting three and a half or four hours of sleep every night, and that's all, and I've been there. That impacts everything. How you perform at work, the type of spouse you are, and certainly it impacts your fellowship with God. We're spiritual beings, but we have bodies, and we're living in a physical world that's very real. I read about a church member who told this preacher, every time I try to pray, I fall asleep. You know what the preacher told him? get more sleep. <laughs> that might be a good may, that might be good advice. Johnny Erickson Tata is paralyzed from the chest down. She needs assistance with the most simple things in life like getting dressed or going to the restroom. But since she's in a wheelchair and can't move around too much, she tries to make the most of it. She spends a lot of time praying and just consciously being with God and just being still in his presence. I also think that people's relationship with God is affected by busyness. It's hard to be meditative or contemplative when your life is like a merry-go-round that's going way too many RPMs. It's difficult to hear God speak to you through his word when your life is jam-packed with constant noise and ceaseless activity, and you're never still. And sometimes... um, Every part of a person's life is affected by exhaustion. If you're constantly exhausted, that's going to impact your spiritual life. And the Bible addresses this one. We can become spiritually impoverished by mind-numbing prosperity. Money and possessions can become distractions and can and often do cause people to become spiritually dull Money and possessions can cause us to lose our focus and our edge. Sometimes we can hit the spiritual blahs because of what I would call business as usual. Life kind of takes on a same old, same old quality. Uh, been there, done that. One day fades into the next. Nothing is outstanding. Uh, There may not be a lot of zest for anything in life, including the things of God, because you're in business-as-usual mode, uh, just steady. Uh, You may spiritually get into the doldrums. You can get into the spiritual doldrums because of unrepented sin, sin that you have chosen not to deal with, chasing money, illicit sex, including porn, chasing power, chasing recognition. And how about this one? I think this may be more prevalent than ever before. Constantly seeking entertainment, being entertained to death, Uh, too much screen time, and constant distractions. It is so easy in 2021 to live distracted and to not be present with God in your life. There are so many ways we can get into the spiritual doldrums. And what what I'm about to say, I don't want to make this trite and simplistic, like uh, five quick and simple steps to beating the spiritual doldrums. I I, I don't want it to sound that way. But we are actually going to discuss three biblical ways to overcome spiritual lethargy. The first is this, rewind. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Revelation chapter 2. Rewind, kind of like when you had a, remember when you had a VCR tape and you had to go backwards? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3. This is the words of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus. Revelation 2, 3, Jesus said, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Sometimes we stop doing the things that have helped us grow closer to God or at least do them a lot less than we used to. Did I make that up or is that true? Sometimes we stop doing the things that have helped us grow closer to God or at least do them a lot less than we used to. Um, If you're not on the mountaintop spiritually right now, think back to the time in your life when you felt most strong spiritually spiritually a time when you were growing deeper in your relationship with God? What things were you practicing that were most helpful in your spiritual walk? Sometimes we slack off of those things. For instance, if you find that Christian music blesses you and greatly helps you in your walk with God, but you find that you've essentially stopped listening to Christian music, or you've benefited from reading C.S. Lewis in the past, or Dallas Willard, or Philip Yancey, or uh, Max Lucado. But you may have found that you've basically stopped reading devotional literature like you once did. You may re- need to return to reading C.S. Lewis, or Max Lucado, or whoever it is that blessed your life, or find a new author who blesses and benefits you. Or maybe at one time you had a daily quiet time, maybe in the mornings, and it helped you tremendously in your spiritual growth. And then you've gotten away from it. Or or maybe there was a time when you were actively serving in the church's ministries, but now, well, not so much. Rewind. There's a time when we need to rewind the tape and renew some habits that have blessed us and built us up in the past. So first of all, rewind. Secondly, reconnect. One of the greatest blessings God has for us is deep Christian fellowship. If I'm lying, call me out on it. One of the greatest blessings God has for us is deep Christian fellowship. You may know that the book of Proverbs says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're instructed to bear one another's burdens and to serve one another in love and to confess our faults to one another and pray for each other. There was a Christian minister and writer, Ray Stedman, who said this, when a person becomes a Christian, there are two things he can't say to other Christians. He can't say, you don't need me. Because every part of the body is needed, right? There are no vestigial organs in the body of Christ. God made only one you, and you have a unique contribution to make to the kingdom with your unique set of life experiences and your unique, uh, your, your unique set of gifts and your unique viewpoint. There's only one you, so you can't say you don't need me because God placed you in the body and made you a part of the body. A Christian can't say you don't need me, and a Christian can't say I don't need you either. Because we need each other, would you if you believe that? Would you turn to your neighbor and say, "We need each other." We need each other. Can you imagine trying to live the Christian life completely on your own without any fellowship? What a long, hard haul that would be. You may find that you need the fellowship of the Thursday night group. Uh, we're meeting on six uh, at six thirty. Uh, we we uh, gather around Scripture. But a big part of what we do, equal, at least equally, I would say, is we share our lives. We share fellowship. Both of those are crucial. Um, or it could be that you need to regularly meet with a Christian brother or sister. I, I've been getting together with Fridays on Fridays for lunch with Jeff, and often Milton is there, and a couple of other people have joined us uh, as well. Uh, guys, if you want to be a part of that you can text me and find out where where we're getting together on that particular friday. Uh on friday Jeff and I talked about our lives and we talked about basketball too. Uh I think that's how it's supposed to be. I think that's a good thing. And it could be and it could be that a group of ladies want to get together at some point in the week. I, I was uh I was a, a church that I was uh, a part of a group of ladies got together started getting together when things were pretty discouraging at church, and they uh, the last I knew it was about 20 years later, and they were still getting together regularly, sharing their lives. Um, may need, it may be that you just need to find one Christian and get together regularly, have a coffee and prayer time together, but we, we need each other. For spiritual renewal, sometimes we need to rewind and renew some of the habits we've gotten away from. We need to reconnect with brothers and sisters. And third, God's word calls us to repentance. God continually calls us to tear down the idols in our lives. If you've been chasing money or illicit sex or power or recognition or an infatuation with entertainment uh, or a slothful lifestyle, the remedy is clear. Repent and turn to God. Leave the idols at the foot of the cross. Again, the passage that we just read uh, in Revelation, uh, Jesus says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. We talked about doing the things you did at first, but we didn't talk about the other piece, which is repentance. Repentance is supposed to be a regular part of the Christian life because we're all sinners. The one who is without sin, feel free to start throwing rocks at everybody. But repentance is supposed to be a regular part of the Christian life, we need to constantly bring our sins to the foot of the cross for healing and renewal and restoration. The old song says it well, burdens are lifted at Calvary. We need to revisit the cross and present our sins to Christ at the foot of the cross there. Rewind, get back into some habits you've gotten away from, reconnect with brothers and sisters, and repent. I want to close with a reading. C.S. Lewis in the the book The Screwtape Letters. By the way, how many people have read Screw Tape Letters? A couple of us. Um, this is a this is a classic. This is an oldie but a goodie. This the screw tape letters is a series of letters uh that are instructions from an experienced demon to a junior demon. And the younger demon is responsible for trying to tempt a man who has recently become a Christian and to cause him to fall. Now, I'm going to read part of one of those letters. This letter shows us how Satan can entice us to fritter away our lives on basically nothing, like the warm glow of the TV, wandering the malls, engaging in idle chit-chat, instead of anything really serious and valuable. So again, what I'm about to read is, a letter of instruction from a senior demon to a young demon in training to help him know how to how to tempt uh, his the person he's responsible for nothing is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years not in sweet sins but in the dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why in the gratification of curiosity so so feeble that the man is only half aware of them in the drumming of fingers and kicking of heels and whistling tunes he does not even like or in the long, dim labyrinth labyrinth of reveries that have not even, that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish, but which, once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake off. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, capital E. Now, who's the enemy of Satan and the demons? It's God, right? So he's talking about God. The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Isn't that powerful? I'm closing here. Satan wants to make our lives blah. Satan wants to make your life blah and take the wind out of your sails. God wants you to experience a deep and abiding joy from a day-by-day intimate relationship with him and to be truly engaged with living a life of radical commitment and unbridled, passionate obedience. Let's stand up and encourage each other.